0: everybody episode 720 of First Class Fatherhood. I'm happy and honored as always to be here with you guys and I've got an incredible guest to bring you. It's never lost on me just really how blessed and fortunate I am to speak to so many amazing people. Today uh, is one of those days where I'm just uh, completely humbled to have a chance to talk to Dean Stott. Dean Stott is an incredible human being, first-class father, obviously. Dean served in the Special Boat Service, which is an elite special forces unit in the UK's Royal Navy. You will very rarely ever hear the British government make any comments on this mostly clandestine unit of the UK. The Special Boat Service is the best of the best. And Dean Stott, uh, aside from his military career, he is very well known for being a double world record holder. Cycling the longest motorable road in the world, and I'm talking about the 14,000 miles of the Pan-American Highway. Uh, Dean not only accomplished this cycling feat, but he also was the fastest to ever do it. He also broke the world record for being the fastest person to ever cycle the entire length of South America. Dean has found a lot of success outside of his military career in the private sector. And if you're interested in hearing uh, more details about his military career, Dean Stott did an incredible interview with Jocko Willink on the Jocko podcast. So if you want to hear more about all of his military career today, obviously, we're going to focus on his fatherhood journey. But if you are interested in listening to his military journey, you've got to go check out the interview he did with Jocko Willink. And for that matter, if you want to hear Jocko Willink's fatherhood journey, you can hear my episode with Jocko Willink right here on First Class Fatherhood. But as for today, Dean Stott will be here with me in just a few minutes, so please stick around for the interview. And today's interview with Dean Stott was recorded on video and is available for you guys to watch on my YouTube channel. So if you want to watch today's conversation, please subscribe to First Class Fatherhood on YouTube. Link is in the description of today's podcast episode. Okay, and I'm about 17 days away from jumping into the Hudson River with a bunch of special forces operators to swim the span between New Jersey and New York. I'm going to be doing that with a bunch of Navy SEALs and other combat veterans. Uh, so many different police, a uh, fire department. It's really just an amazing patriotic event. I hope and I encourage you guys to all check it out. It's going to be covered on Fox and it will be covered on Newsmax this year. If you're in the New York, New Jersey area, I'd love for you guys come on down and check out the event. And this year I'm jumping in the water and swimming across. I've been training for this since January. Uh, It has not been some easy task for me to do. I've been swimming at least a mile, trying to do at least a mile every day swimming, mile a day running. I've hit it most of the time since January. I've rearranged a lot of my schedule to make this in. I think I'm ready to go. I don't know until I get in that water and actually try to do this, but I could use your help as I try to raise money for the Navy SEAL Foundation. The Navy SEAL Foundation is the big sponsor of the New York City SEAL Swim this year. So I'm trying to do my part and I would love it if you guys could help me out. The link to my campaign to raise money for the Navy SEAL Foundation is in the description of today's podcast episode. I can't say thank you enough to all of you so far who have donated. I really appreciate it. And again, like I said, if you're in the New York, New Jersey area, come on down August 19th. Check out the swim on the New York City side where we all get out of the water. And if you see me, come on up and say hello. All right. And I also want to say thank you to all of you guys who have been following me on Rumble, First Class Fatherhood's Rumble channel, where I launched the Alec Lay Show just about a little more than a month ago, almost two months ago now. And I'm growing steadily over there. So I really appreciate you guys jumping over there and checking out the show. If you, if you have not tuned in yet, I discuss all the politics and news, current events that are affecting parents in America today. I've had some great guests on that podcast as well, including uh, Carrie Lake, Larry Elder, senator josh hawley my man sean parnell and so many others so i really have been blessed get out over there and check it out if you have not if you're interested in that and i know that's not for everybody if the, the political scene which is toxic in our country is not for you understandable but if you are interested in those conversations i encourage you get over to rumble find first class fatherhood and check out the alec Lay show All right, so let's do this. As always, please help me spread the word about today's podcast any father in your neighborhood or in your contact list. Let them know about the show. It's here celebrating fatherhood and family life. You guys know it. Father's Day is every day right here on the podcast. And here comes my interview straight up with Dean Stott on First Class Fatherhood. Joining me now, First Class Father, Dean Stott. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood.
1: Thank you for having me. Appreciate.
0: it. Honored to have you here. Let's start it like this. How many kids do you have? How old are they?
1: I have three, uh, three kids. Uh, I have a twelve-year-old daughter, a seven-year-old son, and a ten-month today old daughter as well. So I've spread them out.
0: Wow, very cool. Uh, you going to try to even the score there, or are you all done with the tree?
1: Uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it depends. You know, all three of them got one thing in common on it, and we're planned. So uh, <laughs> you know what I mean. Never say never. <laughs> I
0: like your style. All right, Dean, if you could just take a second here to hit my listeners with a little bit about your background and what you do.
1: So obviously from my accent, I'm from the UK originally. Um, I was uh, used to be in the UK Special Forces, the Special Boat Service, for 16 years. Uh, then had a accident, left that, worked in the private security sector for a while, working around the world in some of the hot spots, and then took a sabbatical Uh, To actually spend more time with my family um, because I had totally disconnected from them and decided um, I was going to always want to leave a legacy. Um, Never cycled before. Decided to cycle the world's longest road from southern Argentina to northern Alaska. Having only cycled 20 miles and applied for the world record um, a year, 18 months later, actually uh, broke the world broke, broke two world records. Came the first man in history to cycle under 100 days, and more impressively raised 1.3 million dollars for mental health. But um, and then from that, my sort of profile then sort of got exposed. I came out of the shadows of the special forces. Um, I I have my own book. I do TV work and you know international guest speaking. But still behind the scenes, very much now in the security industry. Still, that's an area that I always tend to. To fall back into.
0: Yeah, really amazing stuff, Dean. And and one of the reasons why I bring so many uh, military dads on here is just you know one of the things is too like you said the special forces community guys are now out of the shadows, which I think is a big benefit uh, to Mm. our society that we have access to see you guys speak to you, listen to your advice. I mean, I think it's really invaluable the the amount of uh, you know knowledge that you guys have to pass on to the civilian world, which I think is incredible. And the other part is, too, just like you mentioned, to to spend more time with your family, you guys sacrifice so much. And and to focus on what you're doing in that community, especially Special Forces, it takes so much out of you that it's hard to focus on family while you're doing it. And it's another reason why I honor so much the men and women that serve. Uh, So at one point, then, you said 12 years old, I believe, is your oldest, your daughter. Take me back then 12 years. At what point, where were you at with your career when you first became a father? How old were you and how did that experience change your perspective on life?
1: So I, I got injured in uh, 2010 from the Special Forces. I left in May 2011. <clears throat> My daughter was born the 1st of June 2011. So she was born as I left the military. But as I was leaving the military, um, I never planned on leaving the military. Unfortunately, it was a parachute accident I, I didn't foresee. And I didn't see a career outside of that that community. So for me, uh, uh, well, my, my, my wife was eight months uh, pregnant. I, was, I didn't know whether there was any work there. How was I going to support the family and such? So within 48 hours of leaving the military in the middle of May, um, I got a phone call to help set up the British embassy in Benghazi during the Arab Spring. So I actually flew out to Libya, which at the time was a no fly zone uh, three weeks before my wife was due to give birth. Uh, wow. Thankfully for me, I managed to get back in time uh, for the birth. But within what well, I got my wife home my wife gave birth on the Friday evening Sunday evening she was back home um with the baby uh six o'clock next morning I was on the next flight I was off to Guinea doing another task Because um, for me i had to I had to be able to support my family um I had that sort of worry, but then five years later i'd um you know I built a great reputation within the industry and soon realized that um i'd um I'd only been home 21 days in a 365 day calendar and something had to change. It's very different when you're in the military because you have to go away. You, you, you know, it's part of your job. You know, you, 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 you're deploying because you have to deploy. This was more of a choice. It was me having a choice to go away all the time. And then soon realized I had, I was trying to match the adrenaline rush I had in the special forces without coming to terms with the fact that um, I'd left. And so I was doing dangerous missions as a, civilian um but without that that top cover and so uh yeah my wife and i had a quite an in-depth conversation it's chapter 16 in the book it's called dead or divorced <laughs> and it was like <clears throat> if you continue with this lifestyle you will either be dead or you you'll come home and mean me and molly won't be here so unfortunately for molly my 12 year old is it was a blink um um and i i and she was five years old i i'd missed a lot of her childhood and and Learned a lot from that with my next two.
0: Yeah. And so many of the guys I've had so many of the Navy SEALs, uh, Green Berets, so many of the special forces guys on here. And the divorce rate is extremely high in those communities. And and it makes sense as to why you you guys are gone so much of the time and so much of your focus is on what you're doing. And it's you know, it's it's such a. uh, an unfortunate balance that has to be made because we need you God, Thank God we have guys like you to do this, <laughs> but the toll it does take on personal lives is incredible. Now you said you were there in 2011 for the Arab spring. That was right when uh, the uh, Benghazi incident uh, went down that year was in September. <laughs> I've had a bunch of those guys on. I had, yeah. I've interviewed Tig, Oz, Tonto. They've all been on the podcast here, all great
1: dads. Uh, w- were you there while that whole thing went down? Yeah, so 2011 was the year before. <clears throat> um, I was trying to find a niche within the security industry and in 2011. So this was when Gaddafi was still still um, cordon in, in, in Tripoli. But a lot of these big security companies were charging six, seven-figure sums for crisis management and evacuation plans, which weren't actually in place. And as we've seen more easily in Afghanistan, still seems to be the same within the security sector. So I I bought 30 weapons on the black market. I buried them between Tunis and Egypt and designed my own evacuation plans. I just 2012 with the, what you're referencing. I just finished the London Olympics and I was in Benghazi that evening when it all went down. And so I single handedly got a German oil company, uh, eight engineers Uh, from Benghazi back to Tripoli uh, through safe houses that I had in the desert. So as it was unfolding in the city, I was slipping out the back with these uh, German engineers. And because of the success of that, two years later, I get a phone call from the uh, Canadian embassy telling me that they were stuck behind in Tripoli. Everyone else is gone. Um, Your name keeps coming up. So I went in and I single-handedly evacuated the Canadian embassy, 18 military and four diplomats from um, Tripoli back to Tunis. And it was after that task that me and my wife then sat down and she sort of, you know, grounded me and said, you, I've only seen you 21 days. And so I had just disconnected from society. I And generally, it was a lack of communication between me and my wife. I thought <clears throat> she wanted me to be away uh, so I could earn money. I, I wanted to earn money for them. But when, in fact, my wife was very successful in business herself you know she was a property developer and so yeah once we sat down and cracked a couple of bottles of red wine it soon came to came to reality that we the yin and yang balance of family and work was wasn't wasn't level
0: yeah and, and i had the year wrong yeah it was 2012 but september 11th, right? september 11th 2012. 2012 yeah that's right uh, and, and you know, you talk about, too, you know, protecting people. Obviously, your your job has been in protection for a long time. Obviously, what you guys have done uh, in the Special Forces and stuff like that. But when you're a dad, and, and I asked a lot of the Special Forces guys this, is because for regular civilian dads who don't have the kind of experience, training, all this, uh, you know, accolades to, to go on, sometimes it can be overwhelming to protect your family, especially mm-hmm. with everything going on right now, especially in the U.S. Crime has been true to ceiling in most cities across the country here. What advice do you have for the fathers out there, especially the new dads uh, that are taking their families either on vacation uh, to it, to a city uh, or just trying to, you know, what can they do to keep their family safe while they're out and about, especially
1: in an American yeah. city? I, th- I think for me is, you know, when we're away, you know, that's where we're most vulnerable because we're not there to protect the family. You know, some of these fathers who aren't special forces, the fact that they are there day in, day out and, you know, that. That itself is protecting them, but it's just all about being a role model. That's what I've sort of found with society over the last, well, especially in the, it seems to fast track the last five years, is, is is chivalry and just being a being a young man, being a gentleman, you know, being a role model for your your kids. You know, I remember my father; he was in the military, and he never swore once in front of me. You know, I you know I remember being the age eighteen when I was already in the military, and I was telling him a joke, and I had to warn him that I was going to swear. You know but that was a reflection on what i'd learned from my 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 father so you are you know you have to be conscious that these children are absorbing everything you do you know everything you do the way you act the the way you talk is is a reflection on them so so for us with our kids i don't i don't really sit them down and go into you know the do's and don'ts of security especially the worst case scenario uh as well you know i just naturally will do something and they will ask questions why are you doing that and then and then i i can do it so literally just being there is this the first thing you know second thing is you know educate them but just educate them through your actions uh that's all i can say but you know just being a father being there Protecting them uh, more than probably what we are in the special forces because we we're, we're not actually there. Obviously, we're keeping we're protecting them on the bigger picture, the bigger scale. Um, but yeah, if you ask most of the special forces guys, they they would they would love to spend more time with their children.
0: Yeah, no doubt, and there's definitely, uh, for one reason or another, there's there, there's a fatherless crisis in our country. There is a uh, so many kids that don't have that father's presence in their lives. There are a lot of kids growing up without a father in the home. Uh, maybe the father chose not to be there. Maybe it's a, a family court decision that's keeping the father away. Uh, and you have uh, you know so many different scenarios that play into this. But we are suffering from a fatherless crisis and a breakdown of our nuclear family units. Yeah. And in my opinion, I harp on it on this show a lot because I really believe that if we could get this family problem problem solved and more dads in the home, we wouldn't see all this chaos that we're seeing unfold throughout our country. What's your take?
1: Yeah. And well, I actually was one of those children, actually. So my parents split up when I was aged eight and my mother took me and my two sisters um, back to Manchester, where she was originally from. And I ended up in a homeless home in Moss Side, which was the roughest ghetto in the whole of the UK at the time um I mean my sisters were the only Caucasian kids in the school and I was a victim of racism there I was fighting all the time as well but my father would commute every other weekend 240 miles one way to grab us and 240 miles back every second weekend he would pick us up take us back and sort of take us away from that that environment and he he put his career on pause Um, he was actually posted to Germany as a regimental sergeant major. He said, no, I want to stay in UK. I want to be there for my kids. And um, two years later, it uh, it came to a head in a court battle. And the judge, the judge at the time was like, I'm not splitting up the siblings. You know, they make the choice where they want to live, which I thought was a good decision. However, the decision was on my shoulders at the age of 10 because I was the eldest child. And so I chose to live with my father, him and I had a close bond and you no, know, I could have easily fallen in that trap of those, those, what you're talking about, a fatherless uh, family. But, um, you know, I saw my father, I saw him as a role model and he took us away from that. And from then on, you know, everything, everything was good, but how easy it could have gone one way or the other. We may not have been having that conversation, this conversation. If I had, if the judge had said, no, he, they're staying with their mother.
0: Wow. Wow. Incredible. And then, and then how about as far as the discipline portion of this goes? Obviously, uh you're a well-disciplined individual but what, what type of disciplinarian are you as a f- father and is that different than the discipline style that you grew up with
1: And yeah, it's very different from what i grew up with you know generations change and we learn from the previous generations um you know my father did a lot of things right and he did uh some things wrong and so i just take again like that sponge i take what what worked and what didn't work uh, and try and install that in my kids you know For me, my my father was a Scottish sergeant major. So I wasn't, no, sports was big in our family. He was the army soccer manager, player and coach. And so I loved sport as well. But I wasn't allowed to play with my friends until I'd done my homework. I wasn't allowed out the house. And so because he wanted to, he wanted me to have an academic career. He didn't want me to sort of go along the military route, which I ended up doing anyway. But, um, you know, so for me, it's like, let your children be what they want to be don't force it on them you know my son now is seven still doesn't know what sport he wants to play you know um but i'm not gonna instill that on him but a good friend of mine back in uk he he must be the most loving father i see around his kids you know i my eyes you know my face lights up when i see him around his children and he's almost like overly in love but his father was a pastor and he had to make a one-hour appointment each week to sit down with his father and so he, you know, he was at one end of the spectrum. Now he's just learned from that. He doesn't want his children to go through that. So I think there's stuff that we can take back from the, our previous generation that does work. I think discipline. That you still need to have discipline. The chivalry, you know, that your p's and the q's, you know, being polite, you know, all that. Um, but do we do need to be as, as strict as we possibly were back then? No. Let them be children. You know, let them make mistakes. Um, and so um, yeah, there's an element of both, fifty-fifty. I said have instilled. Yeah, I love that, Dean. And and so hard to kind of do that today, too, with the
0: technology. It kind of speeds up their learning curve so quickly. I have two teenagers. I have a 17 and 16, and then I have a 12 and an 8. But my my teenagers, there's it's virtually almost impossible for me to to guard them with the technology. They're so far more advanced than I am with all of this stuff. And they've kind of in a sense, they've grown up, you know, like if you drive through the streets in the ballparks here, they're all empty. Kids ain't outside playing in the street like they used to. They're all on these devices and they're growing up in a different way. But they're taking on so much more. You have access to everything on this phone. They yeah. have whatever they want to in, get involved in. They can find it on this internet. And it's so hard to curb that as a father. And it's difficult. With the younger ones, it's a little easier to control their screen time and what they can see and put the guards on their phone that they can't crack and get around. But yeah. as they get into these teenage years, it's very difficult to kind of guard. What, 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 do you have any kind of advice or insight on how to protect them from all this uh, nonsense on social media and, uh, and with the technology?
1: Yeah, well, my wife actually uh, teaches child exploitation online protection. So she she you know, goes into more to the, the dark side of it. So, no, we're always mindful of that. But, I, yeah, we are. The thing is, we can't punish our children. They're born into this society. They're born into the world of Internet. You know, we, we're probably an era where we knew before the mobile phones. And, uh, you know, but it's it's that instant gratification. You know, there are the benefits of social media uh, and of sort of the internet and there are the, the negatives. Um, and so for me, again, it's finding the balance. And the worst thing to do is just take the phone off or disconnect right. the, the, the internet. It's almost trying to find that balance. And so, I, you know, with our kids, we make sure that we do do something, at least go out an hour each each day whether we're kicking the ball down the park you know whether we're just going for a walk or yesterday we we go for a swim it's just trying to find the balance i think if you you know try if you take that from them you know they'll resent you for it so it's trying to work or find that balance um again but you know we sometimes look on the internet what can we what can we go do you know this again is the the advantage of the internet is like you probably didn't know what you had around you before the internet you know, you talk about the special forces, you know, years have past, we were all all under the radar, you know, no one knew about us. I mean, Google came. and So, you know, you, you can do Google searches. So it's just trying to find find that find the balance. Um, but for us, we just make sure that there is a period where there is no mobile phones or and if the mobile phone is with us, it's to take family photos.
0: Yeah. And you're right. There's so many great things. I'm talking to you now because of the internet. Like I've been able to talk to so many different people and have this opportunity because of it. But they're, like, if you watch too, I know Sound of Freedom that just exploded here. We see the child sex trafficking that's going on. And a lot of them use these devices to get into the kids uh, and gain access to them. So there's so many different dangerous aspects uh, to the internet, but it does provide us with so many positive things as well. It's a, it's a big paradox. There's no doubt about that. Uh, Your book, Relentless, uh, hit the listeners with a little bit about that. Where can they find it? Uh, What's been the feedback on it?
1: Yeah. So the feedback's been uh, great. You know, it's almost three stories, uh, three books in one. It's uh, uh, in three stages. The first third is my childhood in the military. uh, And I stopped uh on selection on the special forces i don't divulge into any of the special forces operations just to protect uh my friends but then the middle portion the second portion is the private security sector i actually did more sensitive jobs as a civilian than i did when i was in the special forces Uh, but you know you know i've talked about a couple of them you know it sounds very sexy in hollywood but i've never had to use any weapons it's understanding the politics the demographics the tribal influences that was the success of me doing those evacuations and then the world record bike rides, everything I'd learned from those first two portions of the book as a child, from my time in the military, my time in the private security sector. And I then just put it on to a sport I'd never done before. Um, you know, I generally believe you can't be experienced without experiences. So it was those experiences, even as a young child, my parents splitting up. You know that built that resilience up, and that sort of helped me in my latter years. <clears throat> and then, obviously, the spoiler is that i break the world record. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, incredible! Too. So what is it? What was it? Fourteen thousand miles in. Uh, Fourteen
1: thousand miles—the world's longest road from southern Argentina to northern Alaska—and and like I said, I'd only cycled twenty miles before I applied for the world record at the, age, at the age of forty. So I, I wasn't a young a young pup. And yeah, I <clears throat> the world record was one hundred and seventeen days. I, I became the first man in history to do it on 100 days in 99 days, 12 hours and 56 minutes. But as the story unfolds, there's reasons why I had to be speeding up. You know, every time I started hitting my objective, my objective then kept moving. Uh,
0: incredible. Yeah. Awesome. story. I'm going to have the link to the book uh, relentless in the description of this podcast episode. So my listeners can tag tap the link, get over there and check it out. Last thing I want to hit you in here, Dean. I love to ask all the dads that I get on the podcast what type of advice do you have for that brand new dad out there, or for that about to be father who's out there listening.
1: Well, firstly, stay off the internet. There's no real advice on that. There's nothing in the internet can give you as <laughs> advice. Um, you know, just be natural. Um, maybe <clears throat> we're all we're all children ourselves. You know, take the good, the positives, and the negatives from your 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 father and just install that into your children. Um, And there's no right way or wrong way.
0: Yeah, very well said. I love the message. It's been an honor for me. I got to say, Dean Stott, you're a First Class Father all the way. And thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time here on First Class Fatherhood.
1: Thank you, Alec. Appreciate having me.
0: You have been listening to First Class Fatherhood. Please visit www.firstclassfatherhood.com to find out more details. You can order First Class Fatherhood Advice and Wisdom from High Profile Dads on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Proverbs 22.6 tells us, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will never depart from it. God bless, and I'll catch you next time.